Hello. How you doing? It is a solo episode. I thought I'd just do that so I didn't have to so I didn't have to add it in later. Just do it live, you know what I mean? If if you can. Gives me a chance to show off. I'm just such a such a remarkably talented individual. I fell today. You'll be you'll be glad. It's a solo gym episode, by the way. I fell about about an hour and a half ago. It's half one now. I don't know when the last time you fell over was, but falling over as an adult, oh, it's it's horrible. <laughs> it really is horrible. Puts a bit of a funk on the rest of your day. I just fell, just straight up fell, like a toddler. I was, yeah, I was just just walking home and um, clipped this this tiny wee ridge. It's like a raised um, sort of what you call it, curve on the side of the grass parallel to the path, and I just clipped it and then vroom just fell over and three th- I had three thoughts as I was falling the first thought was is there anything is there anything we can do here and it's like no your front foot that fell that's that's gone that's out of action your other foot that's keeping you up now unless you can hop and hop and hop all the way to your house and then just fall through the door I think you're 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 done. And I just put my arms out, put my hands out, smack right in my palms. And the second thought I had was, people are going to assume you're drunk. And uh, on this occasion I wasn't. It was uh, 12 o'clock in the afternoon. wasn't hungover or anything. Just, just fell. And then the third thought I had was, I remember this when I saw someone else do this, I was sitting having my lunch. Uh, on this bench next to like a, it was a road in Edinburgh. I can't remember the name of it. And uh, yeah, this woman just fell on the road. Just did what I did. Just tripped and fell. I remember her hands just slapped on the the asphalt. <laughs> I don't know. I've taken to saying asphalt aggressively. I don't even know if it is asphalt. Is it worth googling it? Well, I'm gonna have to Google it, otherwise it's, I'm gonna go out of my mind. But um. I know it was, and it was a horrible thing, obviously, for for that to happen. But then I had to make a decision: like, do I get up and rush over and help her? It's like, well, maybe she, you know, she doesn't want that. You know, doesn't want to be handled by someone if she doesn't, you know, if she doesn't know if she's okay. So I was like, right, I need to wait for her to get up, and she did luckily right away. And she was sort of distraught, but half laughing. And then I was like, okay, now I just look like I've, I'm a complete piece of shit because I haven't done anything. So I just did what the only thing you can do. Which you just go, are you alright? She's like, yeah, yeah, it's okay. Can I just sit on this bench for a second? I'm a bit flustered. I was like, yeah, fine. And then I was like, right, I'm, 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 I'm here for the long haul. I can't, I can't just get up and leave. Sorry, roads made of asphalt. Asphalt. Most of our network is suffer, surf, suffered surface with asphalt. Known as blacktop or tarmac. Well, there you are then. Um, yes, yeah, so I just had to sit there, and then that's it's, a, it's one of those social situations where you just feel like, oh, do, I, do I can't I just go? Like, do I have to sit here and console her? She seems all right, you know. I, she doesn't know what I've got going on. Uh, one of those things that makes you think maybe I'm not. Maybe I'm just a complete bastard and I'm not compassionate because my first thought was about me. But yeah, 
it's just one of those things. That, so that reminded me of that. And then my shop, I, I did, don't know if I said, I was carrying shopping and uh, that went fucking in for There was a woman walking her dog who did the are you alright thing. And um, another thought struck me. I was like, I'm glad that this wasn't a shame shopping and that this was, uh, it was good. It was, it was mostly veg, actually. I'm going to try to eat healthy this week. We ordered in dessert last night. It was my fault. I always push for it. It's never Becky that does it. I'm just, I'm just bad for it, you know, sometimes. Anyway. So, yeah, luckily, you know, it wasn't just like pizzas and chocolate and crisps and beer and stuff. You know, like it has been in the past. It was, it was all, it was all good. But then I was like, right, I need to pick up this shopping. Otherwise, she's going to feel like she has to come over and help me. I'm like, oh, she, she looks like she'll take ages to pick shit up. <laughs> Again, thinking about myself there. But then I sort of picked up all my stuff and then did like a wee thumbs up to sort of <laughs> the world around me and went, I'm alright, I'm alright, you know, made a wee joke of it because uh, you have to in those situations because you, because of just the intense embarrassment. And I turned around and there was a guy sitting there in his car and he was looking right at me and he was raging. And I was like, well, what the fuck are you angry at me for? I'm the one that fell. I didn't... Is that your bit of pavement? You fucking gape, gape, yeah, gape. Is this your asphalt? <laughs> you, you're the asphalt. I should have said. <laughs> it's just, it's the asphalt's fault. It's, anyway, there's something in that. There's something in that. But uh, but I am. Although I am getting better these days at knowing that I sometimes misinterpret things. You know, when you've got a kind of a mindset, which is worst case scenario, you usually just assume that everyone around you hates me. Maybe you didn't actually look angry, you just looked concerned. But it's the kind of thing I'm going to tell Becky the story tonight when she comes in. And then in a, in a week's time, I'll be like, why the fuck was that guy angry at me? You know, it's like those kind of things stick with me. Anyway, I'm all right. <laughs> Welcome to Tune About. If this is your first Tune About, uh, it's not always like this. Uh, we're going to be doing a series of solo episodes. Uh, there's going to be six in total. Two from me, two from Dougal, and then two from Liam. Uh, the Tune About boys just couldn't get it together. We couldn't find an appropriate time uh, to all meet up. But to be fair, I mean, we probably could have done a couple of episodes over Zoom, like midweek. But that's it's not the way we roll. We like to meet up off a Friday or Saturday and drink excessively and do five, six episodes in a night. And, uh, yeah, we're just we're just too used to that now. Can't have it any other way. Excuse me. So, so yeah, there's going to be some interesting things coming up. Um, the, the, uh, the sponsor for this week is actually what the episode is. Which will make more sense when I get to it. But the album recommendation, we do an album recommendation each each episode. <laughs> <I'd>, <laughs> uh, the album recommendation this week is Wonderland by Seafret. Uh, their new album that just came out this year. Um, they're a folk pop, they're an indie folk pop band, I would say. Their first album in 2016, um, Tell Me It's Real. Uh, I just absolutely fell in love with that album. The singer's got this beautiful kind of resonant, kind of raspy quality to his voice and it's a really tasteful acoustic guitar and stuff like that. Just some absolutely beautiful songs. So their new album is great. 
Uh, I assume I haven't actually finished listening to it. I've only listened to the first couple. So this is probably the, this is the first album I've recommended without hearing it all. But I'm sure it'll be good. I'm sure it'll be fine. What else has been going on in my life? I'm trying to get a couple of catchphrases off the ground. I'm listening to some other podcasts and watching watching a lot of No More Jockeys. I've recently rewatched all of that on YouTube. And they just have all these little phrases and things that they do, like, this won't be funny, but they'll say, like, someone will say something with an if in it and they'll go, oh, big if, or yet is another one. You know what I mean? It's hard to explain, but anyway, I was like, you know what, I kind of like a catchphrase. Something to just slip into conversation and just see if anyone notices. So I'm telling you guys, um, I've, I've narrowed it into two. The first one is, if you like that sort of thing. Uh, and the other one is, I'll be the judge of that. So, <laughs> so it's it's most fun to say that, to say those kind of ones when there isn't any context to it. You know, like, oh, dinner will be at six o'clock, if you like that sort of thing, you know. Yeah. And then if someone else says to you, oh, dinner will be about an hour, and you, you go, well, I'll be the judge of that. <sighs> yeah. Um, I don't know if I'll stick with that that's something I've been playing around with Tuna Boot episodes are dropped every Tuesday at 6 o'clock I've just got a couple of things I want to go through here with you um, yeah I don't think we ever really say that on the podcast but Tuesday at 6 o'clock I'm not, not entirely sure why that is exactly there was a reason for it but um, it'll be perfect for you know maybe making your dinner on a Tuesday evening, you know, the Tuna Boot episode will be ready for you at 6 o'clock, or it'll certainly be there for you at your, your journey to work on the mon- the Thursday morning, Wednesday morning, and Thursday morning, I don't know when the best time to listen to it is, I can't really tell you, I don't listen to it very often, you know, I'm in the show, I wouldn't, I wouldn't call myself a fan, if you could uh, rate us at five stars as well, that would be terrific. It genuinely would be great. It honestly takes a couple of seconds. I've done it. I've actually I've done it for a couple of other podcasts, you know. But then if I see that they've got, you know, like thousands and thousands of ratings, I go, Ah, you don't need me. Just out of spite. But the ones with the lower ratings, uh, yeah, give it a go. Uh, and this is Jim, by the way. In case you didn't know, another thing we we don't really do in the podcast. So never really say our names. I've been listening to a lot of other podcasts and they, they tend to mention who they are or at least say hello, you know, hello, F- F- Phil or, you know, Beatrice or whoever it might be. They at least say the names, which I don't think we do very often. So, so this is Jim. Obviously, just get to know this voice. That's what I sound like. That's another thing as well when you're listening to podcasts and sometimes it's hard to differentiate them. So to give you a wee quick kind of rundown, I think Liam's voice is kind of bassier, it's deeper, and he's the um guy, which we've, we have, we did in the past uh, spend a lot of time editing out those ums, and if you've never noticed the ums before, I am sorry if, I, if I'm the first to point it out, because when you, like, when you spend a lot of time with them, you don't notice, but then every now and then you do notice, and you're like, shit, like, it's a lot, but you got to love them. So that's Liam, bassier, M guy, and then Dougal. How do you describe Dougal's voice? I don't really know. So he does. 
he does a thing I can't do it but he'll do <laughs> he does a kind of like half laugh whilst sort of saying the words you know uh, I'll, try and, I'll try and emulate it so it's like you'll say something <laughs> you know that's as close as I can get it but if you haven't heard it listen out for it <laughs> anyway that, so that's Dougal that's Dougal's voice well you'll get a chance to hear them all isolated as we go through our solo episodes over the next six weeks what else have I got for you oh I've I've recently did my top 50 movies list but the idea is it's a top 50 movies list but without uh, without having duplicate directors you know so you can only have one one film from each director really which was really really interesting because you you start to like if the first like 10, 15 they're really easy you know it's like you know those are your go-to ones. But then other times, like in the middle is kind of the hardest ones because you chuck some ones at the end, like the 40 to 50. Excuse me. You just kind of go, well, I like them. I'll need to revisit them. But it's the ones in the middle. You know what I mean? It's hard to know. Like, what's your 26th favourite film? It kind of becomes a bit arbitrary. And then as you refine the list, you realise you've put stuff in that you've maybe not seen for over 10 years. So I started making my way through that, and uh, luckily all the ones I've watched so far have held up, for the most part. Uh, the first one I watched was uh, Jackie Chan's Police Story, from nineteen eighty five, and um, it's just it's just the most authentic action movie you'll ever see. There's just no substitute for the real thing, and I think when you're kind of well, not that I really watch Marvel movies now, but like things like for instance Fast 10's coming out and I'm really excited for it because I like how sort of bombastic and silly and funny the Fast and Furious movies are but you know we take movies like that and action movies and superhero films and you know they all have that kind of glossy sheen and you know there's no jeopardy to it there's no stakes there's, you know unless you've got like someone like Tom Cruise who's literally like jumping at helicopters and shit you know that's one thing one thing one reason why I always stick up for him as a as a film star because he he does you know he is dedicated to that kind of thing. But going back and watching something like Jackie Chan's Police Story, when you know if you see Jackie Chan hanging off the edge of a bus, with like just holding on to an umbrella, he's literally doing that. You know you see all these cars driving down this the hill of this shanty town right at the start, and you're like they're they you know those cars are there they're literally real they're doing the whole thing, and then that really famous stunt at the end when he. Uh, jumps down and rides down that pole and just gets electrocuted all the way down it's like, and that's the director of the film as well that's the other thing <laughs> that, that, that really kind of blows your mind there, there's one sequence where he's, he's standing pointing, uh, pointing his gun at the uh, bus and it stops and there's a car behind him and then these guys like jump through the as the bus stops they jump through the window and they hit the ground now what they were supposed to do was fly out the window and then land on the car, but the bus stopped just that little bit too early, and they kind of got jolted forward and came out. And then, well, the reason Jackie Chan finishes the shot, he goes, "I've only got like he knows in his mind he's only got one chance to do it, and it doesn't take long. He just has to go like look around one side of the bus and then around the other. Then, presumably, you know, and then all the the medical people medical people came in." Oh, I always run out of breath doing these solo ones. <laughs> um, 
and do that weird awkward laugh. That's me. Um, breath losey solo guy. <laughs> what was my point? Aye, well, the point is, you know, obviously, they put every plate measure in place to make sure people don't get hurt. But the fact is, you've got the director of these things, like the whole film, doing shit like that as well. It, it's just, it's incredible. So I highly recommend it. And um, I also rewatched The Badlands, Terence Malick's uh, masterpiece about, um, about a couple who go on the run through the American Midwest in the 50s. And it's just very, very beautiful, very, very weird. I forgot how weird it is. But it's gorgeous, it's funny. And um, yeah, it's absolutely amazing. If you like that sort of thing. Alright, moving on to the the meat of the episode. How long is that? 17 minutes? Yeah. Yeah, that'll do. Alright, so we've had an email, uh, very excitingly, from a former collaborator of mine, Marjorie Flamps, the head of psychology at the University of Herefordshire. Now, if you remember, a couple of weeks ago, we did an episode where uh, Marjorie and myself had collaborated on and into uh, a series of questions to ask the other boys to dis- to determine whether or not they were human, and um, luckily they passed. But well, we did we tested their blood as well. Actually, to be honest, turns out that's actually quicker. Robots and aliens tend not to put human blood in them. You know, <laughs> so that's a quick tip for you. But anyway, so she got but Marjorie got in touch. And uh, her email reads as follows. Hello, Jim. Good. It's, this was sent just directly to me, not mrtunaboot at gmail.com, which is the email address for the podcast if you want to get in touch with literally anything. And uh, links to the rest of our socials are in the description. Link tree down below. Yes. So, hi, Jim. Hope you're doing well and hope the podcast is going great. I'm going to be publishing a collection of essays on, and stories on what I've discovered and learned in my years as a psychologist and professor. Take a look and see what you think. Maybe you can read the first chapter out if it ends up being any good. Glad to hear your friends aren't robots. Yours, Marjorie Flamps. Yeah, well, Marjorie, it was a close one. It was a close one. I'm sure that... I was sure that Dugo was a cyborg. I would have put money on it. But anyway, so... We don't have a name for this collection of essays as of yet, but I do have the first chapter right here. So I thought, why not give it a wee read out as a wee a snippet, a sneak peek to the book. So thank you very much, Marjorie, for sponsoring the episode. And um, yeah, I'll just read out the first chapter in its entirety. What's happening on 20 minutes? God, that's some excellent, excellent vamping from me right there. Alright, so this first essay is called The Mattress Rule, A Study in Childish Affectation by Marjorie Flamps, Head of Psychology at the University of Herefordshire. The actions, speech and beliefs of our parents do not need explaining to our younger selves. It is inherent. It is simply the nature of things. Repeated family activities and small rituals can lead us to an assurance that certain things happen in particular ways. We always had a takeaway on a Friday, therefore everyone does. We would always take our shoes off when we came in, which leads you to assume others do also. 
It is not until you venture to other people's homes and see their little behaviours and procedures that you start to doubt your own. If I was to stay at a friend's house on a Friday and they would microwave a large lasagna, I would experience deep confusion. Excuse me, sorry Marge. It is possible to have other items for dinner on a Friday? Surely not. I was told by my mother that Haddock was the, Haddock was the best fish to get at the chip shop. God, it's horrible. I'm told this by the one who knows all of the world. I believe it and I'm consequently enraged when I try cod in my late twenties and discover I prefer it. When I move in with a friend at university and she proudly struts across the carpet in her shoes, the world does not implode. This still troubles me at the time. But you always take your shoes off, don't you? Of course, these are minor in comparison to the most worries. Yet it was when I first discovered that truths I believed to be fundamental were in fact malleable that my fascination with human behaviour took hold. It was when I first saw a boy I went to school with sitting on the pavement outside his house eating gummy sweets. You can't eat them, they'll make you sick, I said to the young lad. He retorted, I've never been sick, do you want one? He extended the bag to me and I took one. Feeling a rush of dread I'd never encountered before, the sweetness was radioactive and repulsive yet for the sense of exhilaration. The fact that these and all sweets would make me sick, yet I could eat as many wheat bars and rice cakes as I wanted, started to falsify. The rancid taste of victory. I, of course, had no way to rationalise that my parents simply wanted me to eat healthily for my own good. It was an, it was an unlawful and disgraceful attack on my basic rights, a way to torture me. It was in questioning why they would lie to me that led me to realise that we as humans are more complicated than I had thought. Again, I could not articulate this at the time, however I started to take notice of my parents' behaviour. I would constantly ask if what they were doing, if what they were saying, pardon me Marge, I should have read this beforehand, I would constantly ask if what they were saying was true. At no point did I admit this was because I found that... Jesus Christ, Marjorie. At no point did I admit this was because I found out that eating one sweetie did not make me purge. It was mostly when I was being given instructions. Don't sit on that, it'll break. You can't stay up, you'll be too tired tomorrow. Why will it break? How do you know how tired I'll be? Little things like that. It led to a quite combative atmosphere for a while. I have since apologised to my parents for this period of ir irritation and a full and frank confectionery confession has been issued to which I have been fully pardoned. The situation came to a head when I was walking along with my father. He is a very fair, warm, polite and thoughtful man. He always had, and still does have, an earnest and fair way of giving me parental direction. So when we passed a mattress on the street, I asked if I could jump on it. No, Marjorie, you're not allowed. Why? Because I say so. Those four damned words. Those four words that made me shudder when I first uttered them to my own child, years later. They cut right through me. That doesn't make any sense, I said, red-faced and battered by the confusion that can come about when you're a child in the midst of new concepts. You'll get the mattress dirty. But it's on the street. He took my hand and we walked around it. I felt my rights being stripped away from me once more. The injustice of it all. I just wanted to bounce. Was that such a crime? A few years later, towards the end of my primary school years, I was walking home and saw another mattress sitting on the pavement. As I approached, that same feeling of dread overcame me. Am I going to jump on it? Will I get in trouble? 
Forget it. Within seconds, I'm bouncing along it, giggling merrily and giddy with abandon. The mattress was decidedly filthy before I jumped on it, so I felt it was safe. Yet that feeling of excitement prevailed. I encountered the odd mattress over the next few years, and I always jumped on them. After a while, it was just a fun thing to do, and my valiant rebellion against my parents' authority had subsided. The simple act of getting to bounce was all that I needed to fill me with joy. This was until I was nearing the end of my last year of secondary education, and university was looming. I saw a mattress at the end of a long, quiet street, and the usual jolt of excitement ran through me. Admittedly, by this stage in my life, it was not quite as thrilling as it had once been. Despite that, I approached the mattress gleefully. As I got within a few feet, I was suddenly struck by a sinking, emptying feeling. Was it shame? Embarrassment? Fear of getting caught? I stopped in front of the fabric rectangle of old springs and considered, very carefully, what I would do next. I was heading into an important stage in my life. I was going out on my own. I was going to university, some distance away from my family home. This meant looking after myself. I would have to decide what to have for dinner on a Friday night. I was going to study psychology, the subject that fueled my life. I had worked incredibly hard and wanted to be taken seriously as a person and an academic. Should I be jumping about like a child? With an enlightening and liberating sense of engagement with the world, I decided, yes. Of course I should. Why should I sacrifice joy for an outward appearance of stability? Why should one ever give up that simple childlike wonder at the most basic of pleasures? So I jumped along that mattress and it felt fantastic. I decided right then and there that for the rest of my life, whenever I was to pass... I decided right then and there that for the rest of my life, whenever I was... Most people would have edited that out. I decided right then and there that for the rest of my life, whenever I was to pass a discarded mattress in the street, I would jump on it. I vowed that my present self would never let my future self let the child in me down, terrible sentence, and I stuck to it. I told the friend that I moved in with that this was my plan. She loved it and vowed to... S- fuck me. She <laughs> I told the friend that I moved in with that this was my plan. She loved it and vowed to stick to the same pact. Many a time after post-class drinks we would have a bounce on the way back to our flat laughing our heads off at our youthful resilience to being square. We were not punks or mavericks. Nobody wrote any songs about us and there were no movements created in our name. This was simply our little rule that kept us from taking life too seriously. We bounced to stay grounded. This carried on all through university. We remained close during the first few years of professional life but we were not immune to circumstance. She took a job abroad. I had made work commitments that stifled a social life. It was never a problem and we were always able to meet up a few times a year. Once, when we were well into our thirties, we had one such meeting. We shared memories, laughed at established in-jokes that nobody else would have ever hoped of getting. Mm Mm-hmm. We worried and marvelled at how the time evaporates so quickly. After I walked my friend back to the station, afterwards I walked my friend back to the train station, on the side of a road, we saw a mattress. Come on, for old time's sake. And I jumped along, nearly falling off at the end. 
I turned round expecting my friend to be sticking to the part that had meant so much. Instead she was rounding the mattress with a look of disgust. I'm not jumping on that thing. It's filthy, she said and tried to walk on. I put a hand on her shoulder. We have to. We said we always would. We owe this to our younger selves, I pleaded. What? Oh yeah, that. I'm okay. Grown out of that. She walked ahead. It was not a big deal. The pact clearly never meant that much to her. I did one more ceremonial bounce across it and we headed into the station. I gave her a hug on the platform and she embarked on the train. As I waved and watched her slide out of view, I felt a familiar, sinking, emptying feeling. A truth. A pact that I felt was fundamental had lost its meaning. Over the following years, I tried to stick to it. With each bounce, my conviction dissipated more and more, until I stopped altogether. It felt like I was jumping on the mattresses out of some sense of obligation, rather than for real joy. I wonder about all the times I was with someone and coerced them into mattress jumping, and how annoying I must have been, how clawing. Did I come across as a eccentrically superior, as a quirky, wild person who will jump on a mattress? It was hardly living life on the edge or pushing the envelope, was it? I felt pathetic, defeated. I wondered about all the other things I've done out of commitment to some random, nebulous cause I thought would improve my character. Watching a film a week, one from every year since 1960. Listening to one classic album every day. Going on every roller coaster in England. Are these duties helpful? A bit of fun? Or does making yourself engage with something in this way diminish the joy or sustenance you receive from them? It all seems so silly. These forced affectations that are meant to enhance your life end up becoming perfunctory chores. How much do you owe your younger self? Isn't growing out of things and maturing part of your evolution as a person? Does remaining steadfastly to a rule that you set yourself decades ago make you weaker rather than stronger? Should letting these things go not be a healthy part of your development? Does any of it matter? A few months ago I was walking along the road with my son, George. He's well into his third decade now, with a partner and a family of his own close on the horizon. His career is going well and he's a source of immense pride. George possesses the good humour and calm certainty that my father had. He walks with great confidence, yet there's a formal rigidity that sometimes troubles me. There's just never enough time, is there Mum? No matter how much you achieve, how many projects you finish, there's still more to do. He says, somewhat mournfully. That's true. But you should always find time to enjoy yourself, George. Even if it's for a few fleeting moments a day, you must seize it. As Albert Hubbard said, God will not look you over for medals, degrees or diplomas, but for scars. He takes a second to ponder this. I forget whether or not this is the first time I've shared this quote with him. It is one that I think about with more frequency in my later years. As if by fate we see a mattress in the street. I jump along it, without thinking. George rushes to cash me at the other end as I stumble off. I find my feet. Careful, Mum. What on earth are you doing? Seizing it, son. And you can too. Everything made sense to me in that moment. It might cheer you up. Oh no, I'll end up breaking my neck. That's all we need. Okay, I say. I'm not angry. I don't urge him. He does not need to do it. What possessed you to do that? He asks, confused. Just having a bounce. It's fun. 
Why? He pleads. Because I say so. George smiles and shakes his head. After a few steps he stops, turns round and bounces across it. Then bounces back. I nod. Not satisfied or to say I told you so. I just nod. He nods back. He takes my arm and we walk away with a spring in our step. Fucking grow up, Marjorie. Fucking jumping about at your age. Alright, well, that is the podcast. Thank you very much for listening. Thank you very much to uh, to Marjorie for, for, for that. Um, next week, emails. Yeah? Alright. Oh, hold on. Chin a bit. Skish, skish, belish, motherfuckers. <laughs>